Surely in your life you've heard the adage that behind every great man is a great woman. That very old familiar phrase has as much truth today in it, though, as it did when it was one time spoken in the long ago. I said last Lord's Day, and I really mean this, that the decisions that we make in our life determine the direction of our life. The two greatest decisions we will ever make in our life that determine our direction from a spiritual perspective is when we decide to obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ to become a Christian, and the second is who we're going to marry. We talked about how important it is to have someone that is the right fit that God has intended for him or her to have in the home. But a bad woman, though, can be the very undoing of the very best man. I want to give you a couple of, uh, couple of examples. I'll not go into great detail about these. But I thought about these this week. I thought about a man that was one of the mightiest men in all the Bible. I thought about Samson, and I thought about Delilah, and I thought about her influence that she had over him. I don't know how many times that she went back to him and asked him, wherein does thy strength lie? Or we can almost picture in our mind's eye and almost hear the tone that she's begging him, tell me, why are you so strong? And finally she weakened him and she wore him down and he said, no razor has ever come to my head. He said, if I shall shave the seven locks of my head, I shall be as all other men are. We know the story. He sleeps on her lap, his head is shaved, and then all of a sudden she cries out before like she had done, and she says, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. What did Samson say? He arose. He said, it shall be as it always has been before. He said, I shall shake myself, and he believed that God would be with him. But then the very sad words in the Bible, which says, but he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. That's an example of a man that's probably the mightiest of all. And he was brought down by the influence of the wrong woman. How about another one? How about another example of this? I think about the wisest man that ever lived save Jesus Christ. You know right now who I'm talking about. And you know, save Jesus Christ, this is the wisest man that ever lived. You would think that he would have made better decisions. We're talking about the wise man of old Solomon. The Bible says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And do you remember where they came from? They came from all the nations that God said, don't go out there and don't intermarry with them. Let me see if I can remember them all. The Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Hittites, and the Sidonians. All of these were places where God said, do not go out and intermarry with them. He chose all of his women from people that were not the people of God. And what did the Bible say? They turned his heart. If you don't think that the right woman makes a difference in your life, you're sadly mistaken. You are sadly mistaken. You know, there's a story told one time. I gave this story to you 10 years ago. If you remember it, it's, then it's a great story. And if you don't remember it, uh, you need to hear it. But there was a story told that really fits this about the importance of having the right wife. Story told about a CEO of a rather large corporation. And he got in the car one day with his lovely wife, and they're driving the very expensive car down the freeway. He looks down and he realizes that 
he needs gas. So he pulls off the exit there, pulls up to the pump there at a gas station, jumps out. He barks out a couple orders to the gas station attendant, and then he goes inside to the little mini-mart there. And while he's in there, he looks out, and he can't help but notice that his wife is having a rather animated conversation with the gas station attendant. And he's looking out perplexed by that, and he's, and he's thinking in his mind, well, how odd is that? But after a while, the gas was finished, the tank was full, he paid his bill, he goes out to the car, he jumps into the car, he shuts the door, and there they went. And as they're driving along, he says to his wife, he said, Honey, I just couldn't help but notice that you were having a rather animated conversation with that gas station attendant. Did you know him? And she said, Yeah, we went to the same high school. And he said, Oh, I get it a classmate perhaps, an acquaintance. And she said, no, actually, really, we dated rather extensively. In fact, at one point, we were very serious. And this is what he said. He said, oh, honey, I am so thankful. I'm so happy for you. And she said, well, why is that? I'm so happy that I came along, or you might have been the wife of a gas station attendant instead of the wife of a CEO like me. To which she replied, make no mistake about it, honey, if I'd have married him, he'd have been the CEO and you'd have been the gas station attendant. I'm going to tell you, it's the truth. Who you marry is everything. When I think about great women in the Bible, I think about Hannah, the mother of Samuel. I think about the kind of support, the loving support that she gave to her husband, Elkanah. Makes all the difference in the world. Well, especially true is the wife of an elder and a deacon. And I will tell you this. There's times in the life of an elder and a deacon regarding his work when things get very, very lonely. Sometimes people that are in positions of authority, or not really authority, but leadership, let me just say it that way, positions of leadership, oftentimes stand alone when they have to do things and when they have to help through things that are difficult. Sometimes that's very hard. And sometimes it's very, very lonely. Now, I can't even imagine going through some of those kind of things without a supportive wife. If a wife is not supportive of her husband in the work, he will not be successful in that work. Now... How many times do we preach about the elders and the deacons regarding their qualifications? I will tell you this. I've been a Christian for 40 years. Now, I'm not saying it never happened. I'm just saying I cannot remember one time. I've been a Christian for 40 years, and I have never, to my recollection, heard a sermon that was specific to the qualifications of the wife of an elder or a deacon. We focus on the elder and the deacon, and sometimes... We neglect to talk about the wife, the elder and the deacon's wife. Well, first of all, by way of qualifications, how important are they? You can't be an elder or a deacon without having a wife. In fact, it's part of the qualifications. It's part of the requirements. You have to be the husband of one wife. You remember we talked about this. The husband of one wife. That means that you have to be a one-woman man. Now... If being the husband of one wife means that you can't have more than one, then doesn't it also mean that you can't have less than one? Why, certainly. You have to be married to have the office of an elder or 
a deacon. I think sometimes maybe we have neglected to encourage our young ladies to grow up and be the kind of people that they need to be in the home. Sometimes we talk about their motherly requirements, but think about the things that they can do to help support their husband be the greatest positions in the body of Christ, and that is an elder or a deacon. Now, first of all, let me say, as important as her role is, as important as her role is, the Bible does not authorize her to have a position of leadership in the body of Christ. In other words, one man said that being the wife of an elder or a deacon carries with it, get this, no significance other than the fact that she will be held to a higher standard than other women. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's just the way that it is. It's kind of like a preacher's wife. You're in a fishbowl. In other words, your life is out there to be exposed and to be viewed by other people. But she doesn't have a leadership role. Well, somebody might say, well, what about the word deaconess? What about that? What's the word deaconess mean? Well, first of all, remember this, that sometimes words have various meanings or multiple meanings. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Some people say that when you talk about a deaconess, she has a position of leadership because of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11. But this is talking about the wives of elders and deacons and not the position that the wife or the woman would hold. Furthermore, sometimes in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, that's misunderstood, where the Bible says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is in Sencrea. All right. Now, the word servant in that passage is the Greek word diakonon. And that word is translated in some translations as deaconess. So sometimes people say, well, you see, we have deaconesses too. And they're just like a deacon. The footnotes oftentimes translate that as deaconess. But there's no office in the church that is given to the woman in the New Testament. That's an assumption that needs to be proved. Now, let's talk about the Greek word for servant. Do you remember in Colossians chapter 1, Paul deals with the man Epaphras. In fact, he is associated with the church in Colossae and he's called a servant. That word servant is the same word that's translated deaconess in Romans, in the book of Romans. It's the word diakonon, and it just simply means servant. But nowhere is Epaphras called a deacon. Sometimes diakonon is translated as minister. In fact, in two places it's used. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul calls Timothy a minister. It's the word diakonon. Now, Timothy was associated with the church in Ephesus, but he was not a deacon. One more passage. In John chapter 12 and verse 26, a faithful Christian is called a servant, diakonon. What's my point? My point is, sometimes words have dual or multiple meanings. Diakonon is translated as a servant, it is translated as deaconess. It is translated as minister. It is translated in all of those English words. 
But we, we understand that. We understand that words can have a dual meaning. In fact, let's look at the word elder. The word elder in general just simply means one that is older. And that could be, that could be a man or a woman. Have you ever said respect your elders? What are you talking about? You're talking about the people that are older than you and are in a position perhaps of honor or position of authority. We respect our elders. In a general sense, an elder simply is somebody that is older, whether it's a man or a woman. All right. But in an official sense, it's a ruler. It's an overseer. And it is only given to the man. The same is true with servant in a general meaning. It implies to any service without special office included. But, as one commentator said, in the official sense or limited sense, it means an office or a work of a special nature in the church that carries certain qualifications. All right. Women may do many tasks in the church. And women within their role, can be very useful in the work. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. He said, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women, notice what he says, who labored with me in the gospel. In other words, they were part of the work. So again, the women do many tasks even under the direction of elders. But it doesn't necessarily constitute a position in the church. All right, now let's talk about some qualifications. Qualifications of the wives of elders and deacons. There are four things that we're going to notice. Now, first I want to notice some erroneous attitudes. When we talk about erroneous attitudes, we are talking about something that is false. And believe it or not, I'm going to notice three of them with you right now. And all three are actually positions that people actually take. These are actually views or actually things people believe. Here's the first erroneous opinion or attitude about a woman and her qualifications to be the wife of an elder or a deacon. Here's number one. That all of the Bible qualifications are for the group of wives rather than just for one woman. Let me explain that. That's the belief that some actually believe that what that means is, as long as the collective group of wives fit all the qualifications that Paul was talking about to Timothy, then that's okay. That's an erroneous position. That's an erroneous attitude. That's not true. Here's the second one. All the qualifications are flexible and not absolute. You know, that's kind of like calling the Ten Commandments the Ten Suggestions. It really is. If these things are not absolute, then nothing in the Bible is absolute. Do you remember when we talked about the qualifications of an elder? It said an elder must be these things. The same is true with the wife of an elder. Second erroneous attitude is all the qualifications are flexible and not absolute. Here's a third one. It's okay to appoint the man regardless of of the wife's requirements or whether she has met the qualifications or not. Folks, these are things, once again, that are erroneous. They disregard the authority of the Bible. It disregards the authority of the Lord because all these things have been given to us specifically regarding their qualifications. And if a man is disqualified because of his wife, 
God will not lower the standard just to accommodate her. All right. Let's talk about something positive. Let's talk about some proper attitudes toward these qualifications. Here's some proper attitudes. Number one, the qualifications, I hope you get this. The qualifications do not demand a perfect, sinless woman. You know what you're going to find, I hope? I hope what we're all going to find when we're done here today is there's not one thing that is unreasonable about the qualifications. And do you know that every one of these applies to every single Christian? There's only four qualifications here, by the way, and they fit every Christian. So one of the qualifications for an elder or a deacon's wife, here's a great attitude about it. It doesn't demand a perfect sinless wife because there is no such thing. Here's another one. Here's another proper attitude. All of the qualifications are essential. Every one of them. You can't eliminate that. Here's number three. The qualifications must be developed before the appointment. In other words, a wife of an elder or a deacon that's about to be installed, she has to have all the qualities, all the qualifications before he's installed, just like the man has to have all the qualifications before he can be recognized in that position of an elder. All right. There are four important qualities that we want to notice today. Four important qualities. And um, I, I, I want to call it qualities because really that's what they are. They're characteristics or qualities. And we want to notice what they are at this time. First one is in the New King James, it just simply says reverent. And the King James, it just says grave. And it means this. It means to be prudent, appropriate, dignified, quiet, and of sound judgment. One commentator said this. This is a woman that is not giddy nor foolish. This is a woman where, as some translations render this, worthy of respect. I want to make a point about that. It doesn't mean sad. It doesn't mean... You can't have any fun. It doesn't mean you can't laugh. It doesn't mean you can't have joy. And by the way, let me just make a little side point here. Sometimes people think that Christians are to be so serious all the time that you can't have any fun, you can't laugh. You know, that, that doesn't even fit at all anything that, that the New Testament teaches. And it certainly doesn't fit what Paul talked about. Paul talked about having joy. Paul talked about rejoicing. And I'm going to tell you, if anybody could give such advice, it was Paul. Terrible things were happening to him in his life. But if, for example, in the book of Philippians, the entire theme is rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. So when we say that a person is quiet and of sound judgment and dignified, it doesn't mean that she's not having any fun. It doesn't mean that at all. I like this, though. I like, as one translation renders it, she is a woman by the way that she lives, by the way that she behaves, by her example, she is one that is worthy of respect. Have you ever heard the term respect is earned? We can demand that somebody respects us, but that's rather shallow. 
Respect is earned, and we command that by our actions. This is the example of a woman that by her actions, she's worthy of respect. Now, there's one way that she can do that, too, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. In like manner also, this is the way she dresses, the woman adorned themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness and good works. Now, several of you were not here last Lord's Day. I want to make a really quick point about this. This does not mean that a woman cannot braid her hair. It's not what that means at all. What it's referring to is referring to a time or a custom when women, to attract the opposite sex, what they would do to stand out, they would take gold and silver and pearls and they would weave it into their hair. They would roast their hair to the moon in the front to attract others. What else? Also about what they wear and fine apparel. This does not mean that you can't wear a, a, a beautiful dress that's expensive. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, there's two words for clothing. One, you remember, is the clothing that we wear to cover and protect our bodies. And all of us are wearing that right now. Peter was not condemning a, a, a nice suit or a nice dress on a lady. He wasn't condemning that. They cost a lot of money. What he was talking about is the other word for clothing or apparel. And it's the one that was used as an ornament. They would take these costly ornaments that were some sort of material and wrap themselves up in it to stand out. And Peter says, don't let it be that. Let it be the hidden person of the heart that attracts other people. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about not necessarily what a person wears in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. We are talking about something that is from the inside. We're talking about something that is by her example. And a grave and a reverent person, folks, please get this, is not one that is severe, stern, unhappy. She, she's admired by all. And she's not one that looks like she just ate a great big bowl of prunes. i got to say it. Preached on this in Walnut Grove, Kentucky. I'm going to tell you right now. The Christian life, please hear me, is the best life in the world. And it's the happiest life too. Don't walk around like you're miserable because you're a Christian. It is the best life. Even if, this came up in a private Bible study this last week, even if there was nothing after this life, and even though Paul said if there's nothing after this life, we are of all men most miserable, I get that, I understand that, if there is no hope. Let's just talk about the life. If you live the life like a Christian lives his or her life, it's the best life in the world. You know what you'd be? You'd be a better person. You'd be a better employee. You'd be a better employer. You would be a better husband, father, You'd be a better everything. It's the best life. So enjoy it and live it with joy and rejoice that we have everlasting life. Now, here's a second one, though. She's to be reverent or grave. That's true. But she's also not to be a slanderer. Now, there's all kinds of definitions of being a slanderer. 
Sometimes when we talk about somebody being a slanderer, we talk about somebody that is running somebody down in a falsehood, in a falsity or a falsehood or using false words about somebody else, slandering their good name. But you know what's interesting about this? And if you want to know why it is a sin, and it is a sin, it is a sin, not just for the wife of an elder or deacon, but every Christian. Watch this. It actually means the audible form of malice. It's the audible form of what the Lord says we're not to be. We're not to be guilty of. We're not to be guilty of malice. We're not to allow those things to burn in our hearts. A slanderer is an audible form of malice. So, what are we learning from Paul? We're learning that this woman, to be a, an elder or deacon's wife, cannot be guilty of being a slanderer. Now, I got to tell you, can you just imagine? Can you just imagine? I can't even fathom. And really, we hold certain people to higher standards and we shouldn't. We shouldn't. But if you think about an elder or deacon's wife that would be guilty of gossip or backbiting or being a busybody, can't you see how that would destroy the work? Can't you see how it would destroy her husband's reputation? Can't you see how it would bring a terrible name onto her family? All those things. But again, I'm not just talking to elder and deacon's wives. The Bible talks about these things for every single Christian. James 3 and 5 says this. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. 1 Peter 3 and 10, listen to this. For he who would love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Here's another thing too, by the way. Elder and deacon, elders and deacons have sensitive information about people in the congregation. That's the truth. And there's a lot of times when an elder or, and a deacon sits down with someone and knows some very sensitive information about another member. Okay? She can't be such that she gets that information and tells other people about it. I want to tell you a little story. I want to tell you a story. I know a brother who was working with a congregation to um, ordain elders in the future of this particular congregation. And there was some sensitive information that was told to the preacher. In fact, it was actually given in an email. I, I appreciated his wife so very much. You know what she said? I don't even want to hear it. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know what the sensitive information is. That's the proper heart. That's the proper attitude that a wife should have. Not one that is guilty of being a slanderer. Backbiters, talebearers, they're dangerous both to themselves and to the church. Proverbs 18 and 8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty rifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Proverbs 26 and 20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no talebearer, the strife ceases. Now, obviously nobody should be involved in having or being guilty of this sin. But then there's a third one, and that's to be temperate and to be sober. Now, interesting about the word sober, it actually means being of sound mind, self-controlled, and sober-minded. 
It's the same idea that we talked about when we talked about elders and deacons. Actually, just with elders, I believe. We made the, the point about what this means is it's the idea of being in control in both your premeditated actions and your non-premeditated reactions. Now, it's one thing, it's one thing to think about what you're going to say and to think about what you're going to do in advance because of an action. That's one thing. What's really hard, though, is not becoming reactionary and reacting in a sinful way or a hot-headed way. Sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes we say things and then we regret that we said them as soon as they flew out of their mouth. I don't know about you, but that's happened to me. That's what the Bible's talking about, being slow to speak. In my life, I've always been one of those faster speakers. And what happens is when you do that without sitting down and sifting through it all, sometimes you say and do things that you wish you had not done and you regret them later. A temperate or sober person is somebody that is of sound mind and they're in control. Can't you see? All this deals with what's on the inside and then therefore it is manifested on the outside. This is a person that is under control. One commentator said, this is a person that is not only self-controlled, but she is also spirit-controlled. She's calm on the outside because she's calm on the inside. Isn't that the life of every Christian, though? If people are struggling today as Christians with a particular sin, if people are struggling with sin on the outside, you know, realize the problem is not the outside. The problem is what's on the inside. So in our Christian lives, we have to fix what's on the inside, and then we will fix it on the outside. If we keep losing control, for example, on the outside, it's because we are not under control on the inside. We haven't put ourselves in subjection yet. We haven't done that on the inside. If we do that on the inside, it'll manifest itself in the proper ways. And that's what Jesus talked about when he talked about it's not just the action, it's the heart. Fix the heart. Fix it on the inside. You know, I think that these wives are, that we're talking about today are those that, I would fit, that would fit some great examples of 1 Peter 1.13. And again, this is not unreasonable. This is a matter of holding oneself in, not being frivolous, and not being irresponsible. 1 Peter 1 and 13, Therefore, gird the loins of your mind, be sober. I'm not going into this passage. We've done that before. I want to make one point, though. We understand that girding the loins of your mind is to prepare your minds for action. We know that. Then the word sober there means circumspect, and that word means... To evaluate every possible circumstance of your decisions before you make the choice. This woman here, this sister here, this wife here, is someone that's an example of one that does that. As Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and 13. A lack of soberness on the part of wives will be a bad influence on their husbands, their children, and the congregation that they are a member of. But finally, here's another one. She must be faithful in all things. Now, do you remember when we studied about faithful children? Faithful 
means, by definition, trustworthy. Now, faithful children means faithful to the Lord. That's what that means. It doesn't mean, as some commentators would say, it means faithful to their father. No, it doesn't mean it at all. It means faithful to the Lord. So faithful children means faithful Christians. And regardless of how many children a man has, he must have all of them as faithful Christians. But you know what's amazing about this? When we talk about the qualifications of an elder or deacon's wife, get this now. She is to be faithful in all things. Now what's that mean? She's to be faithful in all things. The wives of elders and deacons must be faithful to God in all their relationships in life as a Christian. One commentator said that a great lesson here is that wives of elders and deacons can help their husbands and the church beyond measure by always being discreet and being diligent. So what does it really mean to be faithful in all things? Here it is. Barnes says this. When he's talking about faithful in all things, he means faithful to her husband, faithful to her family, faithful to the church, and faithful to the Savior. Okay, I got to ask you, got to ask you, which one of those things doesn't apply to every Christian except the simple ones being faithful to her husband or family in terms of whether she's married or not? Every Christian needs to be prudent. Every Christian needs to be of sound judgment. Every Christian needs to be someone that is worthy of respect because of the life that they live. Every Christian. No Christian should be guilty of being a slanderer, backbiting, whispering. Nobody should do that. What about this? Being of sound mind and evaluating all of your circumstances before you make your choices. That's every Christian. 1 Peter 1.13 says that. And being faithful or trustworthy in every relationship that we have in life. What am I saying that for? I'm saying that none of the qualifications that we've noticed to be the wife of an elder or a deacon is unreasonable at all or really something that is not attainable. It is. In closing this morning, it's certainly true that a virtuous woman's price is far above rubies, Proverbs 31 and 10. And I realize also that an elder and a deacon who has a good wife has a great asset to the work. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife, get this, finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Let's do this, shall we? Do you remember when we started this entire series? We talked about why don't we have elders today and why was it so that they had elders in every city and why did Paul say to Titus, ordain elders in every city, meaning every church in every city? Why? Why were they able to do that? Simple. Not by divine revelation, not by divine help. These men were qualified. They were spiritually minded men. They had been reared in their ancestry in the ways of the old law. They didn't have very far to go when it meant them being godly. 
They were spiritually minded men, and that's the key. If we're going to have elders and deacons in the future in the Lord's church, it has to be that we set it up when we are young to prepare our minds to be that in the future someday. Spiritually minded and have the desire, the desire to be an elder one day. But can you imagine if we have young men that have the aspirations of doing that and they do that and plan for that? And we've got young women that are also wanting to be the wives of such men. Don't you think they can encourage those young men to be all that they could be? I'm going to tell you, the right wife will help you be more than you ever dreamed you ever could. Period. And then the flip side. As we noticed, it could be the undoing of even the greatest men. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.